Sometimes the best thing you can say we finally get to use the title Worst World for our reviews <laughs> here on Vigor Please, a heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. I'm your co-host, Peter. Peter, what episode of Star Trek did we watch this week? We got on to episode two of season four, Stormfront Part Two, first aired fifteenth uh, of October, two thousand four. Uh, written by Manny Cotto, directed by David Stryden. Peter, I like this one a lot less than the first installment because I felt like it was just sloppy trying to just get to the end and wrap this shit up to a point where it became really kind of slipshod. To a point where uh, even seeing them just trying to close the book on it and me wanting them to close the book on it, it still felt like it was just taking way too long pacing issues and <clears throat> you know they're going to save the day right like right this whole thing should have been one episode long it should have been a fun blip oh actually no this is part 3 man because fucking technically this all started back at the end of uh season 3 it was only you know 2 minutes worth of footage or whatever but i didn't like the first installment i certainly didn't like this and if I was giving people a list of Star Trek uh, Enterprise episodes to watch, one and two from season four would definitely be off that list. I, I remember watching these, and then when I rewatched season three and four after I initially watched it, some you know maybe ten years ago or something like that, I I remember skipping these because I remember like oh those don't matter. <laughs> Like, literally, you just skip over them and go to the third episode of season four, and then you missed nothing. <laughs> well, what's kind of fucking me up on this is I'm looking at the memory alpha. Uh, it is the arc of Stormfront 2 of 2, Zindi Crisis 27 of 28. I don't know what left there is really to talk about Zindi. Arc, Temporal Cold War, 13 of 13, which is fortuitous because today is Friday the 13th, by the way. So congratulations. Happy uh, Friday the 13th. What a goofy off note to wrap that whole. Like, do they really not pick up Suliban or anything else ever again? They wanted this shit over with. That is in the I liked the first part of this because they, they took some time. You're like, oh, what is the situation they're in? Let's oh, Nazis have invaded America. The time is fucky. Like there's there's plain things to play with there that are interesting and fun. I liked the the Goomba, um, you know, resistance fighters who are mobsters. That that that's good. That's fine. Every, like everybody was frustrated by the fact that we got another stupid space problem to deal with before we get to get home. This one, it, it started to show the whole reason they're doing this is because Manny Cotto wanted to never speak of the temporal Cold War for the rest of this run. She, he wanted to be fucking done with this. So how do you get done with it, right? It's this hanging Chad from the prior seasons. It's been the overplot of your first three seasons. Uh, okay, uh, we're going to send them back in time, and there's going to be another antagonist. But it's not going to be the antagonist you've seen before. It's a super time antagonist. And we're going to spend all of this runtime setting up the plot while also having to explain to you, the audience, why you shouldn't care about this guy who's apparently been involved in this 19-part plot who you've never fucking seen before, but he's the ultimate time bad guy. Yeah, that's uh, Harry's Canadian villain. 
<laughs> yeah, and then once we've beaten the ultimate time bad guy, Time Zuck's just going to fuck off forever and you're never going to hear about this again. Please stop asking me. Why introduce, what are they called? The Vogue? Vosk is the name of the head guy. The Nephilim or something? Yeah. Uh, Nakul. Why introduce these guys at all other than to shock uh, and 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 try and jolt Paramount into giving them a fourth season at the end of season three. You could have just put fucking Suluban in there. You could have you could have had, had one of the sphere builders, like a like some sphere builders that like mastered being able to be in the real world, and they've but they didn't figure out how to sync themselves in time correctly, and they stranded sure. themselves in 1944. Maybe they started grooming the Nazis the same way that they were grooming the fucking Zindi. Uh, you could have had Suluban, who can just shape change and, you know, shit like that. That's how they infiltrated the Nazis and, and juiced them up with super whatever. Instead, you prayed out a whole new guy. So if the goal of this story arc by Manny Koto was to lay the temporal Cold War to rest. I think he did a shitty job with it. I think it was ill-defined. I don't think you ever got any real answers. At some point, Silic or Daniels or uh, Vogue, Vosk, whatever the fuck his name was, really need to lay stuff out and paint the full picture of what the temporal cold was. Because Daniels had never really been for, well, there's different agents acting. There's different, there's three factions. There's whatever the fuck Daniels is Federation. There's Shadow Man, which what a fucking dry hump that was. And I'm yeah. going to ask you here in a minute who the fuck that was supposed to be, because I know, you know, uh, yeah, there's a space Nosferatu Vosk and his necro thugs. <laughs> fuck there. <laughs> who else is in there? There's some like fucking uh, the, uh, the sphere builders. Uh, we're, we're a factor. Mm, they made themselves a factor, but they were a late addition because they caught Daniels completely flat footed. Correct. Uh, you know, did we get some fucking mass effect dudes in there? I could have gone for some talking jellyfish or God, who are the guys that talked monotone? The elephant people. Oh, the, uh, the Elkar. Elkar. I love Elkar. Yeah. I Sometimes I get real drunk and talk like Elkar. And I think it's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> the ones that have to describe their emotional state when they're I speaking. Love I love yeah, it. They're great. EA. Bioware back when they were able to put in an honest day's work. Um, but if this is supposed to be the end of that, I thought it was shitty. And then, you know, you wrap it all up at the end with uh, some quantum leap ending where fucking Sam Beckett's talking to God as Microsoft and Carta screensaver goes behind him. Shit is so there is one cool shot in this entire episode. It is cool to watch the NX-01 fight against a bunch of souped-up Stukas with plasma cannons over the New York skyline, like shooting them with phasers. For four seconds, the show is cool, and then it stops being cool. Anyway, uh, it starts with... Actually, I kind of like this segment, too. It's a newsreel segment, to show you like the alt history of where they're at, which is it's 1944. Germany has invaded the Eastern seaboard. They control basically everything from like North Carolina, North through Maine 
uh, I'm stopping west in the middle of Ohio. And shout out Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, like Ohio gets shout out a lot in this episode is like where all the battles are taking place. Columbus specifically. Your home is a, apparently war torn. Why can't we get Bloomington, Indiana there as they erase Catherine Janeway from the future? You could have had win- a it's spill- winter. They're not ready to drive in that kind of environment. You could have had a spillover event or uh, they cross paths with 1149 somehow. <laughs> somehow. Set the bookstore on fire. Uh, well, hold on a sec here. Oh, damn. No, Carbon Creek was in the 60s, wasn't it? That's correct. Yeah, nothing's quite lining up. Make all of it just line up perfectly. Make Carbon Creek like the 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 Hellmouth Nexus. What was it? Sunnydale in uh, Buffy. Yes. Where just everything happens at Carbon Creek the same year. Picard's in there. Odo. Fucking John Archer. They're all just roaming around. That's the place to be. Yeah. So this newsreel thing. Eh, whatever. Listen, man, you get into this alt history on a low special effects budget. Uh, dudes in fascist clothing. Command and Conquer Red Alert did all of it better. And I know I keep making the joke, but it's impossible to shake the similarity between Command and Conquer Red Alert cutscenes and like the the scenes between the Nazi general and and Vosk with like that ugly red uh, White House wallpaper. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The White House. It's like, <laughs> this is not a good representation of what every single human being knows the White House to look like, guys. Their set for the White House looks like. It, it, I was in a youth theater that looked like a set piece for the Von Trapp house and the sound of music. I, I said it looked like the where it looked like Appomattox. It looked like General Lee and General Grant were, were about to have a conversation in there. Like, what are you doing? So they get through the newsreel just showing how bad uh, things are for everybody involved and how radically uh, timeline has diverged. Was there a lot of alternate history stuff back in 2004 yet? No, I don't think that that had quite that dam had quite broken yet. I don't was recall. This, was this hailed as like, you know, being visionary and really cool and stuff people hadn't done yet? Or did they realize this was low quality shit <laughs> even back then? You know, I can't say again. I didn't watch this contemporaneously, so I, I'm I'm uncertain. But we get through the newsreel. We dip back into that well of bad CGI to really get your money's worth of the fucking tanks in front of the White House. I mean, it is Microsoft paint, (laughs) The, the lack of budget has been showing from the start and we get more discussion between the unnamed, uh, Wehrmacht general who is the Vosk's, uh, main point of contact where apparently there's some kind of squadron, uh, that has been prepared on behalf of, the Nazis that has some kind of elevated technology uh, and the general wants access to that to deal with the Americans who are about to counterattack and Vosk is pushing back. There starts to be threats and Vosk starts making really big threats of like, I'm a master of time and space. I can literally erase (laughs) your existence. Please go fuck yourself. Which, which is kind of hard to beat, right? Like when you're going back and forth and you're like, I can do this, I can do this. I can delete you from existence. Like, oh, okay, well, can't beat that. 
that's how sloppy this arc is. The fact that this dude who gets a lot of scenes between this and the previous episode, and he is just German general. They don't give this dude a name. Uh, it's played by Christopher Neem, who I see has one other <laughs> one other Star Trek role. This dude refuses to put on a Starfleet uniform. Guess who this guy is? Hmm. Look at this picture. Got to be an alien bad guy of some kind. Mm-hmm. But race. Cardassian? Hmm. Wrong. He okay. is a uh, Viking named Unferth that uh, is the doctor's buddy in Beowulf. Wow. God, that was a long time ago. Oh, I remember that episode like it was yesterday, though. Yeah, that was a special that was a special episode. Yeah, I did some work uh, for for Star Trek. Oh, really? What did you play? Um, I was a Nazi general and also a dwarf. Those dwarven fighter L.A. community theater actors in that Beowulf episode. Mm, I'll never forget them. I'll never forget them. They were so having a good time. Yeah, that was a real special episode because a lot of people lost their souls when they got sucked into the hollow matrix on that one. Uh, so the dynamic between Vosk and unnamed Nazi general, uh, it's it's interesting. You know, two baddies that both have contempt for each other. Uh, the necro thugs have given the Nazis just enough technology to basically get them addicted. Give them some big wins, but they've been holding out on the good stuff. Uh, the aliens have been requesting huge amounts of resources to build super weapons. In fact, they're trying to build a time device to get home. And this uh, Nazi journal kind of realizes that they're getting jerked around. Uh, we'll later find out that in reality, the necro thugs detest the humans, the Nazis. They have uh, strong distrust and highly suspect that if they were to turn over the full capacity of weapons, that they could be hooking them up with, they would be turned on them. And, you know, it's a it's a good bad guy uh, game of cloak and dagger there. Back on Enterprise, Archer apparently decided to bring his new friend, Alicia Travers, the resistance lady that uh, was was his nurse when after he got banged up to some random dead crewman's quarters. To have a conversation about how they've been dealing with the Zindi for last season, and they're all kind how of beat up and How did she die? She's the same age. Yeah, 26. How did she die? Uh, she got sucked into space and probably her eyeballs ripped out. I don't know if you saw Event Horizon, but it's pretty gruesome. Didn't we just do this with North Star? I mean, I, I understand playing it a little differently here because... You know, the, the idea is Alicia goes for this very quickly and is like on board with, OK, you're spacemen from the future. You got ray guns. This isn't all that absurd to me. I've literally seen an alien down on Earth, like helping the Nazis. It certainly explains why they have capacity that we couldn't understand. Like, OK, I'm putting the pieces together, you know, and, and you're I get it plays a little different than North Star, which is more like when like Picard was trying to like. Well, that's what I'm getting. Bronze to, Age Vulcans, you know, how often did Kirk drag humans from Earth's past up to 
a external window so they could gaze upon the blue marble. Uh, once, at least once. Well, Picard's got him beaten. I would say with uh, with first contact, like he really owns it. So uh, I'm going to hereby dub this the Picard maneuver, which is bringing the primitives aboard and showing them space and telling them how it is. Yeah, yeah. Picard was definitely the best at that maneuver. I must agree. <laughs> he man- He managed it. But this is, what, third time Archer's done it now? We had, so, so we've got her, we've got North Star, North Star. who was, was, the thir- was the third Yennefer of the Olive Garden? Did she no, get the No, she didn't go to the ship, though. She knew. They did bring up the, uh, what was that, Johnstown? What was uh, Terra? Oh, the, the Terra Nova, the Novans. Yeah. yeah. Okay, the Novans. They kind of, they kind of work. So, uh. This this whole conversation is kind of pointless. It just serves as a sort of recap of like Enterprise has been through some shit. Um, there's war in the future, and this is all just to show that Alicia Travers is just the most forward thinking black lady from the 40s you've ever seen. Move over, strange new worlds, Uhura. I feel like this is really just she's a star on another show on the UPN, uh-huh. and they're just giving her as much time as possible, and it's very boring. They get back down to the surface. I've got like almost no notes on this. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to steam through this. This wasn't very good. Uh, I will say that Vosk, who is portrayed by whom? Jack Gwethney. What else has this dude done? That's it. Just Vosk. Hell of a voice on him. Uh, I think this guy brings a nice refinement to the character. He's very clinical. Yeah. Um, and unwavering and just flat emotion. Uh, I like. You haven't really seen anything quite like this since the Vulcans. And I think maybe that's something fun they could have done was put him into a closer conflict with T'Pol. Maybe give these guys some some logic vibes and really have given her a good enemy that she had to outthink or something. Cause T'Pol is completely fucking worthless through both of these episodes at this point. I don't know. And it's interesting too, because we're into season four and she has basically been completely sidelined. No mention of her, barely any mention of her trillium D addiction, her newfound emotions that should still be wreaking havoc. I mean, that's all coming. Don't worry. Like we're going to have a lot of focus on all Listen, of those things. So <laughs> that's in the later good episodes. I'm talking about the yeah. two episode sand trap of suck that we've been stuck in here. And that's, I guess, if there's anything redeeming, even though we just shit on like introducing these guys as a new alien race, the fact they realistically only exist for two episodes, these would have been cool long term baddies or, you know, Give me at least five episodes or something. She would have been a great foil. I'm sorry. Uh, to Paul would have been a good adversary of this dude. Uh, and then there's the other treat of this episode, which is Silic, right? So anything good I can say about these two episodes is entirely wrapped up in the quality of aliens that they give you on screen. Vosk is trying to get his machine to work. One of his subordinates let him know that these two guys who captured, who we know is is Travis and and Trip, are not temporal agents because their technology is too primitive to have been from a time when time travel is possible. 
And Vosk has clearly got some kind of plan cooking about how he can use this circumstance. So he tells his subordinate, hey, get him out of torture chamber and, uh, you know, patch him up, have the doctor come by. I've got an idea. And sure enough, they do that. They dump the two of them off in a little concrete um, room to await medical attention. And that is when Tucker, as he's regaining consciousness, staring at the ceiling, has the most unfortunate thing to see, which is that uh, Silic is coming in for a hug. He's he's in Predator Cloak mode, and he's going to drop down. He's going to give you a big old smoochy smooch. What is the point? Um, last episode, Silic attacks Trip. Mm-hmm attempts to force him into the shuttle pod at gunpoint saying, just get in there. We're going to go down to the surface, presumably where Silic's going to say, Hey, listen, we need to work together. Here's my plan to take down Vosk and the necro thugs. And instead trip fights him a little bit. He gets stunned, knocked out, but Silic saves his life and takes him out of the, uh, out of the airlock. So he doesn't just die. Right. Correct. Here, you've got these guys tied up, stuck, whatever, captive audience. You could have that conversation. Hey, we need to work together. And instead, he just knocks Trip out again to to take his place and leave Trip potentially in harm's way. I, I don't know. It, it doesn't check. I'm about to tell you who the Shadow Man is because it's going to finally put all of this together for you. Ready? Okay. This is who officially... Had they been able to, to to explore it, would have been the Shadow Man that Silic works for. It's a future version of Archer. Future I feel version like I of Archer. Ventured that guess. you did. You straight guessed it. So I'm uh, patting myself on the back for anybody. You should who's be. You listening. straight guessed it right away. Um, and that I think explains Silic's actions. Um, even uh, up to this point and in this episode, he is. He, he's gone out of his way to, to protect Enterprise's existence and preserve the lives of our, not only Archer himself, but Archer's friends. <laughs> it's probably because he was told to. <laughs> it also would fit well with why Silic is so smugly familiar and with, like yeah. cocky, like you're my boss, but you don't know you're going to be a boss. Hi, John. You Hi, know, John. Like Which the- huge points off on this episode that I don't get a single hi, John. Um, Archer as the shadow man, kind of whack, uh, but everything that they have done up to this point, I agree, fits that concept very well. I thought you're going to say trip for a second. Now, and and I, I think that it worked. I think it could have worked because Archer is clearly very bitter about the fact he got used in this conflict. And that's evident in his last conversation with Daniels and like an idea where he has a face heel uh, turn where he becomes a a player within the temporal Cold War um, could have really worked but clearly they just didn't want to fucking deal with this plot line anymore they didn't want to develop it so they just stopped it and here's how I so what was the Suluban's real goal I don't, should we finish talking about the episode and then we can talk about the temporal Cold War as a whole? Let's talk about the temporal Cold War now because it's the only thing worth talking about because this is the end of the plot line. 
This is a slapdash story designed to get you to an end um, as quickly as possible, even if it doesn't make sense. So, yeah, let's crack this open now. So, again, you've got the Necro Thugs, which feel like they were invented for season four just to make season four happen as a zany cliffhanger. Correct. Uh, you've got the sphere builders who were late, you know, a challenger has appeared late. You got humanity slash the Federation. You've got the Suliban. So what do we ever really see the Suluban trying to do in terms of accomplishing the shadow man's, uh, they were just to kill tiny, right? They were. Um, the last time Shadow Man was involved in the story at all was to tell Archer what happened to Earth. Remember, that's how it got the information was the Zindi did it. They got help from the future. Which, again, I'm, super jives. Yeah, with it being Archer, right? So like, what's the story I, real quick on them knowing? So is that something you read on a Wikipedia or where did this info come from? Berman and Braga. Like they, so they, they just like, said in the beginning was when the we're, plan. Yeah, we're going to tell we, the story about Star Trek in the first Enterprise. We're going to saddle it with this bullshit temporal Cold War, and it's going to be Archer realistically working against himself. So Archer is representing the current Starfleet moving forward. Shadow Archer wants to put Earth into direct conflict with the Klingon Empire earlier than it does. So their intention was that as the Cold War plot played out, it would have, I think their their main idea was they were going to kill Trip and the Trip was going to die as a consequence of the temporal Cold War was going to embitter Archer in such a way that he chose to go back and manipulate events so that he'd have a better outcome from him and his crew uh, than what happened. So very like Admiral Janeway type of circumstance where it's like, fuck this. I don't like how this worked. And who would have been acting against him? Because if the only real actors are humanity and the Suluban, I mean, time travel is always stupid, but this, this is especially stupid. I think the idea that he's trying to conceal his involvement because he's just trying to manipulate the small things rather than try and manipulate the war as a whole was the, was the idea. But again, like none of this ever got fully developed because they dumped it to do the Zindi in season three left it fallow. There was nothing left, you know, and they came in season four, like we just got to get rid of this. And Who do you think said, we got to get rid of this. Do you think it was uh Bra- Braga and Berman realizing yeah. the error of their way? Do you think it was Manny? Are they even really involved with the show at this point? Gosh, I don't know. I wish Manny Cotto was alive to ask. You know, I would love to know what he would say to Did that. Did they just vacate the office and they're like, man, fuck, I need a break. Enough Star Trek and Manny Cotto is like, all right, into the fire with you. Um, or again, do they just realize, hey, look, that Zindi thing really worked out well. Maybe we need to get the fuck away from this temporal shit after all. Let me, let me. Oh, there it is. Un- yeah. Uh, make Shadow. Archer instead uh, mirror mirror Archer and tired of uh, goody two shoes dimension earth always interfering in the Terran empires 
affairs, he has found a way to cross over dimensions, go back in time or use the fucking Suluban as his agents and say, you know what? Derail this fucking bunch of space hippies. So they're as bloodthirsty and ready for war as we are. And we'll unite as a even bigger Terran empire and conquer the multiverse. I think, I mean, they do ultimately get to do mirror universe stories in this season. Um, at what they come Are up they with as cool as what I just said. <laughs> they're cooler. We'll see. They're cooler. They're we'll really see. cool. They're perfect, actually. Uh, speak. Well, let's go back to things that aren't perfect. And this is this episode, right? Let's just keep. Let's Ugh. just roll through this. So, Silic's the best part. Yeah, he gets up there. Uh, no, no, no. Um, Vosk, who is real tired of the Nazi bullshit, uh, knows now there is a spaceship full of. Slightly better technology than what uh, 1940s Earth has to offer. Fixes up Trip and uh, Mayweather says, hey, Archer, I've, uh, I'm calling you from space because you're the only spaceship in outer space and, and I want to be friends. You got shit I want. Also, I've got plasma cannons that can really fuck you up good. So why don't we be buddies and you come down to neutral territory and we're going to have a talk and you see I'm a man of my word and maybe we can be friends or allies which Archer indulges. They go down. He's got some fucking Makos with them, ready to fucking tear shit up. Something that kind of haunts me through this episode is just sloppy is that Vosk says a lot of raw ass anti-Nazi things, and he is always surrounded by Nazi henchmen humans. Yes. That just may as well be cardboard cutouts. They 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 seem not to perceive the world around them except when they have to point their MP40 at something. Like Vosk running his fucking mouth at the unnamed Nazi general and like the guards in the room just not looking like, oh shit, he just told uh, General No Name off. Or here where Vosk meets with Archer and it's like, here's uh, your dudes. And they're like, oh, Captain, we didn't know you were alive. And he's like, all right, you're going back up to the ship. Vosk's like, I hate the Nazis. I don't want to work with them anymore. We could do way better. I want to defect and and work with you. And like all the Nazis are standing there like. There's people getting beamed out right in front of them. You would think they'd go, oh, scheisse. Like they'd just be fucking freaking out. I get that. Like, hey, we work with aliens that are developing U-rays. Like (laughs) that they've got a higher threshold for like, "Ah, okay, well, that was a weird day at work. But like. The dude you're assigned to protect just consistently bad mouthing your entire uh, fascist regime. <laughs> the, these other guys. <laughs> these dudes, like the the Nazis, need to either be there. Need to be a scene where like they've been lobotomized, or they are robots, or they're just other uh, necro thugs in like subordinate outfits or whatever. But Vosk and there's never like, an explanation for why Vosk is like why the Nazis, right? Uh, there's a quick thing where Reed like tries to piece together the particular alternate history. That's like pretty basic, but there isn't actually a satisfactory conclusion as to like why Vosk is like backing the Nazis, except they're the bad guys. So why not just make it easy? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So I've uh, gone back in time. I don't know if Vosk picked this exact moment or if he, they got stuck here, right? Correct. All right, uh, we got to make allies. 
uh, on one hand, we've got this, uh, you know, multinational whatever effort and whatever. There's America. And then you've got uh, the Nazis who are like super pure blood fanatic, hate anything that is not outside of certain subsect racist as hell. I think we could convince them to get behind uh, non-humans like Seems like a crazy stretch. Yeah, like if you're playing the odds, you'd go to America in the circumstance and be like, hey, guys, do you want some super weapons to blow up the Nazis with? Because you're like in a desperate situation. And you wouldn't say no to anything. And also, you're already a multicultural nation. So like what what and what harm is a bunch, lot of, more bunch fucking, of aliens? Way more resources at your disposal, apparently. Like stupid. They're, they're evil Nazis for the sake of putting aliens in Nazi outfits. Yeah, man, like subvert expectations. Make these guys Canadian. Put them in Mountie uniforms. <laughs> Evil so, Mounties. That can be the fucking name of this episode. Evil Mounties. No, nah, no. Nah, this is going to be Worst World Part 2. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying. We, we, it's our one. I told you we'd have a shot to use that. Uh, I'm taking it. Uh, the They eventually go back up to the ship. Uh, neat moment because Phlox clearly shows Archer a pad that says, Yo, hey, Trip is totally uh, silic and not and not trip and they start playing this game where like flocks goes over to the pad and clearly calls the makers to come, go Hello, shoot this guy. So, there's putty boys in, there's putty boys in my sick bay i want to jump back real quick uh the the meeting between archer and uh vosk vosk does what silic did effectively, which is make Daniel seem like a bad guy. Right. Um, I believe that time travel technology is no different than your warp drive and that the uh, temporal authority that Daniels works for, which is still unnamed. They're the fascists. They impose their will. They have an agenda. They are not good guys or clean. They're fucking with shit to suit their own ends. And then Archer's like, so are you? He's like, yeah, but I'm not hiding it. And I'm not looking to fuck with your stuff. I got dragged into this. These other dudes are trying to fuck with my shit. I'm trying to defend myself. Uh, I think it's one of the better jobs in rationalizing a super bad baddie with like, all right, you know, information. This dude has a branch to stand on. He's got like an ideology that at least. You know, I don't want to say it has merit. It has it has substance. So, you know, Silic's in the past done the same thing, which is cast the shadow of doubt. Like, is Daniels actually the good guy? Look at me. I'm saving your ship from where it was going to blow up in that ion cloud. I wonder if on a long enough timeline had Trek been able to go longer on the temporal cold war without having to throw it away and they got more seasons like if there would have been a face heel turn and find out that Daniels does represent it. I mean, certainly that black fucking Cenobite costume he wears looks evil. It would might not have a Archer involves himself too, right? Like if he starts to believe that maybe there's some, maybe they're not the black hats, but maybe there does need to be a regulating force that tries to prevent the temporal Asians from doing whatever they want. Maybe it should be him because he knows, you know, like there's, there's an, an avenue here you could have developed if you weren't trying to speed run to an ending. Unfortunately, that's what they're doing. Right. So anyways, that's Vosk's sales pitch. He's like, and I like his negotiating. Go back up to your ship, reconnect with your crew member, think about my deal, and let's talk up. Like, this dude's not a bad businessman, right? 
Yeah, he needs he needs he can't force it out of them, and he very logically doesn't try that at first. He tries to appeal to their uh set their their sense of self preservation. Meanwhile, Flox is called nine one one. Yes, uh, they call the cops. Uh, Silic does putty boy away from Archer when he puts him in a headlock. Boy, those putty boy effects got worse. Mm. And he runs out into the hallway only to be immediately hit with lots of gunfire from two Makos. And uh, sure enough, transforms back into Silic as soon as he hits the ground. Probably the first, the only time he ever gets jumped. Really? Like, actually just, but just jumped. He's been beaten. But like two, two rando Makos just blast him. Well, listen, after all the shit that they went through with the Zindi, these guys are due for a hallway victory. They've it's taken true. a lot of hard losses in these hallways. It's about time they get a solid win gunning someone down in the back. And that is actually a fun thing that comes up here in the next scene because Silic's in the brig. Archer's like, I'm not fucking playing with this, this, this game anymore with this fucking fool. Where's my guy? Where is he? Well, I'm not going to tell you. All right. Well, let me come in here and let me tell you what you're doing. Let me show you how we do things in the Delphic Expanse. And choke slams him into the wall. Yeah. After walking through what the what his plot was to like get technology for his for the Shadow Man, so they he can like do more than project into the past. Blah blah blah. Still doesn't want to help. He just just grabs him by the neck and throws him against the bulkhead and be like, "I'll fucking beat you." It's like, oh, I guess uh, the whole Zindi thing might have changed you a touch. And he's like, yep, and not for the better. The jump to conclusion, Matt, work that Archer does is ridiculous. <laughs> it's he's so like, much so fast. It's like it's like he has cheat codes. Like, how could you possibly you're here to this? get a magic portal so your boss can come back here physically? Like, what? I'm just like, what? Yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense. But did I miss an episode where we cover these clues? Was there some part of the uh, previously on Enterprise I like zoned out through? Um, back with the the sick base scene, real quick. Flox is calling the cops. Archer's like, "Well, you know, tell me what you saw. Oh, we were in a complex and this and that. Oh, well, we've noticed that you know, true to form, we've stolen from Star Wars, and this is kind of the Endor." Death Star situation here where there's a shield protecting the factory from transporters and anything else, because why would they set this stuff up like there? Are they expecting starships to arrive from the future? Kind of weird, whatever. But that's our MacGuffin. And then like Archer knows it's Silic. But Silic slash trip just like jumps Archer out of nowhere. Like he's got telepathy and knows that Archer knows that he knows there's no forecasting as to why that exchange happened the way it did. I feel like they tried to like do the blocking in a way that suggested they gave it away through their body language, but it's a stretch, right? It's a stretch. You're the, he just seems to, they all seem to figure it out at the same time so they can have the fight scene. Who did I say this was? Striden? It seems like nobody cared in this episode. They knew it was going to be a bad episode and they're just fucking rushing. Fucking it. getting it over with, yeah. So, um, yeah, Archer's got him down in the uh, sick, or, I'm sorry, the the brig. He does this typical Archer thing, going in there with the, the dangerous, genetically enhanced assassin, even though he's got two Makos over there, slams him up against the wall. And finally, Silic's like, well, you know, enemy of my enemy is my friend. We've got a shared agenda. 
And uh, as much as you and I might not like each other, I hate the necro thugs even more. So why don't you let me help you blow this place up? They have a conversation with Vosk again. Vosk's like, will you accept my offer after the space time machine blows up? Right. Like space time machine blew up. Vosk's time portal doesn't work the first time they test it. He's like, hey, how about that, you know, deal? By the way, I think maybe someone might have stolen something from down here from your time period. Archer turns him down. Now Vosk is like, well, logically, then I should just shoot you and uh, bust out a big rooftop plasma cannon and starts taking pot shots in Enterprise in orbit. And uh, rocks it hard enough that it has to back off and has, has lost some systems. And Most notably the targeting systems. And this leaves Enterprise in a position where like, okay, we got to regroup. We probably got to go down there and turn off the shields around this thing while we get our, our targeting sensors fixed so that we can make a, a Death Star trench run and blow this thing up because that's apparently the way we're solving this problem. Taking so, it out of the Janeway school of fixing temporal anomalies. Shoot it with a phaser. <laughs> so sure enough, it's time to put together another Mass Effect team. We're going to head down there and we're going to see about fixing this problem once and for all. We're going to get trip. We're going to blow up the time portal. We're going to get home. We're wrapping it up, boys. We're getting it done. We bought some uh, download content for Silic so he doesn't have to sit in seven hours of makeup for the rest of the series. He gets to. Uh, he gets a new skin. It just being his actual face. Thank God. He's Although got. I some- did, he's, he's such a good, like, at being smarmy, though. I kind of liked him in his normal face. I really like Silic. I wish yeah. there has been more of Silic throughout the uh, Star Trek. I think he is a good persistent. He should have been there in season three. You should have had played a role in season three. Just not using him was a mistake. Yes. Taunting. Seeing him in passing, maybe even like shitty voicemails or something. And occasionally uh, helping in a mysterious way. And no one knows why, you know, seeming like, um, also confused by the uh, involvement of the sphere builders. Where's, where's Vosk at? Because he's got some other roles I was surprised to see him in. Him not in makeup is a little shocking to see. It's always weird to see like the alien. God damn it. Where's he? Hold on here. Are you trying to find Silic or something? Yeah. John Fleck. That's why he likes calling Archer John so much gets to use his own name. Oh, right. He's uh, the guy, the used car salesman that sells Tom Paris, his haunted shuttlecraft in Alice. Oh, that's right. A Abaddon, you know, the name for the devil. It's a bit of a, we call those uh, red flags. <laughs> we call those red flags. So, uh, with this in mind, of course, the Mass Effect team is going to be Archer and Silic and the other guest star, Alicia Travers, who went back to Earth earlier. And then uh, the the surviving of the Goomba twins immediately smells out that she's hiding something. And there's a bunch of bullshit going on with this Archer guy and just convinces her to fucking give up the story. But thankfully, he's super cool and he's willing to participate in this uh, adventure as well. Um, so the plan is that Carmine and the rest of the gangsters are going to 
essentially just roll up on the Germans and start a fight with them at standoff range with small arms. We got pistols. They got rifles, grenades, maybe machine guns. It's a heavily fortified checkpoint. (laughs) Thankfully, the normal movie logic applies. Germans can't shoot and all the Americans can. Like the Germans are shooting machine guns at the Americans and missing. And like Carmine will just get his his 1911 out and just like pop, pop, pop three dudes in a row, like shoot him in the neck and shit. Like he's. It's like the Doom Slayers versus a bunch of chuds, you know, like it's just impossible. And while they are distracting the Germans by essentially spawn camping them for apparently hours, because the attack starts at night and ends in the morning, (laughs) just sitting there, they just keep respawning and they just keep hosing them down and grabbing the ammunition and coming back and just just getting ready to hit them again when they pop back in. Also in the background, unnamed Nazi general has come to... Voss with orders directly from Hitler saying, give us the badass weapons we know you have. We're done fucking around. Uh, implement, you know, uh, assuming we're going to kill you if if you guys fool around with us anymore. And, and so, Voss has just come just pull the trigger on on like, OK, let's get the fuck out of here. Then we got to be done with these fools. So they are. Having the big fight, Silic and Archer sneak in. Silic does another discount putty boy move to get an event and open a door. They're having some conversations where, like, you find out Silic, um, you know, his his people got effed with by Vosk's people, but the temporal agents prevented it. But Silic still doesn't like the temporal agents. Again, probably because Archer has convinced him not to like them because Archer doesn't like them either. Yeah, that was a real interesting line of dialogue they're like i took it just to mean that the uh suluban and specifically the what's the the cabal right Mm -hmm. uh or just could hold a grudge really well but archer twisting their arm and being like no fuck those guys because that's powerful like hey someone tried to like terminator john connor us right someone went back in time to kill our mom and these dudes stopped it. And we're still, I'm still going to fucking straight ice uh, Daniels two seasons ago. Um, Archer's like, all right, well, hey, let's keep pushing on this mission. They get to control panel. Archer hacks it or something because they don't have the special effects budget to blow up the generator. He successfully gets the shields down. They are trying to effect escape. They get ambushed by a bunch of Germans. Silic pulls a ninja move and gets on the ceiling, drops down, bodies two guys. He's triumphant. He's doing the cool guy walk away. And then, of course, he gets get, get, get right in the back. Rewind. Go back to Enterprise. We're going to work together. We've got a shared goal. We're going to go down on this real dangerous mission. I get a pistol. I'm not taking the fucking Mako's assault rifle. You get nothing which silk kind of even calls out like we're in a gunfight and i don't have a fucking gun and i think we expected to be in a gunfight so like explain to me what's going on here other than you're clearly setting me up to die and then he does <laughs> like all of time it hinges on this the nazis are winning and undoing your history Give me a fucking pistol, especially when we're going to be killing people and I can just pick guns up off. There's no reason this guy doesn't have a fucking gun. Not even a space pipe. I mean, that would have been too powerful a weapon to give to Selick. He could have changed all of history. 
Um, Silic has a dramatic death speech where he wanted to die fighting Archer, but he will, he will die pleased that at least he got to die fighting with Archer and then has his eyes roll back and dramatically dies on the floor. Um, and definitely reverts. and reverts back to his normal form. And it, it's a loss, you know, like I wish we could have seen this guy for the last season. Cause it's like, he shows back up just to die and barely explains why he's there. But yeah, rest in peace, Silic. You are a good villain. Um, Jump back to when we first got introduced to these guys in uh, Broken Bow, right? Because mm-hmm. they they kill. There was the defector. There was like the sympathetic Suluban, which was the yeah, chick the from Suluban Return lady of the that makes out with Archer. Yeah, fucking hot. Uh, Rochelle something. She was uh, the zombie lady from Return of the Living Dead Two. You know, that was a compelling storyline, I thought. Like, interesting split faction. You know, the one with Colonel Grot. Mm-hmm. That was all season one material. And th- this is what it all culminates with here is Silic being happy that he could get shot by Nazis and die in the past. <laughs> so that we can never talk about them ever again. Just very underserved. Very underserved. Very slapdash. Very just, we just need to never talk about Silic Daniels. Or the temporal cold war ever again. We've got to move on. So here you go. He's dead. Well, let's move on. So they, they still kill a- him. They kill him. And while his body's still warm, <laughs> Trip rolls around the corner, thinks Archer is, is Silic and is going to shoot him. And then literally Archer just steps aside and goes, No, Silic's actually already dead on the floor. Please don't shoot me. And <laughs> I'm alive. I know you thought I was dead for real this time. This is like the third time within a 72 hour period that uh, appears that I died. But I am alive for realsies again. They uh, get out of the building after Trip has to remind him I don't have time to hug you because the building is going to explode. And meanwhile, uh, as I said, they've been spawn camping the Nazis for hours because it's morning. (laughs) Trip did have a chance to listen to Vosk's destiny speech, which interestingly enough, he delivers in English to all of his necrothug minions instead of necro thuggies or whatever their native language is. Hey, we get out. Great. Uh, Vosk's in the process of trying to boom tube out of there. Enterprise is flying overhead, dog fighting World War One planes, which we can say, all right, it's a close fight because Enterprise doesn't have uh, targeting systems just to zap these guys out. They do the Death Star bombing run on the Nazi factory. Photon torpedoing uh, Vosk's base of operations. Now that the shields are down. Vosk standing in the time stream. No. Disintegrated. It's Again. all so fast and so stupid. You're like, really? That's it? That's the ending? Great. But wait, there's more stupid. Because <laughs> instantly we smash cut to... This video game. Yeah, it's the victory screen. It's the fucking you won arcade mode of Mortal Kombat 2. Yeah. You know, they like, start uh, assigning bonus points while counting how many resources you collected and giving you kill counts. It's this hokey ass scene where they appear to be like kind of underwater while time floats by. It's beautiful, isn't it? The timeline reassembling itself. And it's like stock footage from a bunch of fucking. U.S. history books. Card a loading screen, and it's so accurate. Yeah, Daniels is there. He's been un un, you know, effed up. 
uh, though his hairline remains tragic. And he's like, boy, it's all fixed. And Archer's like, fuck you, dude. Everything we, we, we got involved with because of you sucked. It sucked big. Go fuck yourself. I don't want to hear about this ever again. And he's like, okay, Captain, bye. It's been a pleasure. I feel like he is unnecessarily hostile with Daniels, which Archer, who is just infinitely forgiving and has a capacity for love of anybody, and Daniels, who has tried to theoretically help him every step of the way, he is just needlessly hostile with this guy. Um, but let's just take a moment here to appreciate that there has been a great and benevolent force jerking Jonathan Archer to and fro in the space-time continuum to right the wrongs of the past. Like, this is 100% a quantum leap. <laughs> it is. This is like the ending of Quantum Leap you never got. You know, they get rid of the, the bar scene or whatever that last episode had of Quantum Leap, and this is uh, St- Sam Beckett talking to God or whoever was directing where he quantum leapt to and congratulations you win the game you have fixed history forever one one last thing happens in the episode that is cool no it's not you don't think this is cool I think this giant mulligan from the mistake they made during the end of season three. No, because it reminded me of that giant. (laughs) But yeah, what I'm referring to, of course, is that they arrive back in the appointed space and time that they're supposed to be. They, they find out everyone's trying to contact them and a whole bunch of ships are approaching. Dozens. Dozens of ships. Dozens. It's it's the entirety of earth, entirety of earth Starfleet from the looks of it. Dozens of vessels all with warp drive. Right there around Earth, which you might remember from um, season, what, three, episode 26, where the Zindi Death Star had arrived. And there were zero ships of any sort anywhere near Earth. So them popping in, which is feasibly like two seconds after the Zindi conflict had ended before they got Mm -hmm. quantum leaped out of there for there to be dozens of ships like, yeah, obviously this looks cool. It's a neat scene, whatever, but it immediately reminds me that I think I, it was ultimately my uh, my choice for the uh, weakest shit award of season three. That there were no ships in Earth. This well, would have been a chance to say, like, oh, you know, we're being hailed from Earth and Lunar Base and this other stuff. They're saying the entire fleet is on its way to the uh, the Delphic Expanse to reinforce us. Archer come in like, tell him to come home. We save the day. That's why they weren't out here anyways ready to help. This all makes sense now. Congratulations, guys. We're home. If I was going to do a cut of this, uh, like remaster the series, I would have taken the end of season three and had it jump right to this point right here. Yep. 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 I think you're right. Fortunately. Fortunately, where we're headed next week. Things pick up dramatically. We we start to get the things we want. What are we watching? We're going into season four, episode three, home. Uh, in the little picture here in memory alpha, I see what looks like probably Vulcan, either that or what was the Sith planet from the game? From the game? 
Yeah, with the shadow of uh, Sith. They got all the fucking statues. What's the oh, Sith yeah. homeworld? Yeah, K- yeah, yeah. K-something. Keth? Korriban? Korriban, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's Korriban, as best I can tell. Once Enterprise finally returns to Earth, the weary crew face repercussions from their journeys, both positive and negative. Uh, this is Mike Sussman, directed by Alan Croker. So, yeah, This is definitely where you you get to do the big payoff for season three, right? Of like the emotional journey that everyone's been on. It's very reminiscent of like uh, that episode right after best of both worlds. Right. Where he goes, or, wrestles his brother in the mud. Yes. So I like this one a lot. I think that's the perfect thing that they should have started the season with. Yeah. I, I want to see how they lead into that. Like, Oh, we all want to talk about this indie crisis. Yes. That's like, very last week though like we're all really Ooh, I mean, shocked and and shook by you know f- going back in time to fight the nazis that had taken over dc what john what are you talking about listen forest <laughs> i've seen things i've done things by the way there's a whole planet of human cowboys out in that expanse that you're gonna listen to, forest you're over here talking about the zindi like, you know, you're so far behind on the times. You sound like a real hillbilly right now. We want to talk about Nazi necro thugs. Well, next week, we'll not be talking about Nazis or necro thugs. We'll be talking about more enterprise. Thanks for listening. See you then. <laughs>